So now on the Innovation Show, it's a great honor to welcome Jordan Wan, CEO and founder of Closer IQ. Welcome to the show, Jordan. Thanks for having me, Aiden. It's great to be here in your offices in Park Avenue in New York. Before we get started, before we talk about Closer IQ and what the product does, it'd be great to talk about you and your background. Sure, happy to. I guess real brief, you know, I'm, uh, I've been, uh, you know, in kind of a lot of different roles, which I guess for me is uh, to become a CEO, you sort of become a jack of all trades, master of none, right? Um, but uh, I started my career and I went to college for computer science at MIT and started my career in finance um, at a hedge fund, very well known for its culture and its people operations in Connecticut. Um, and then, uh, you know, made the plunge into entrepreneurship and joined a healthcare startup here, here in New York, uh, doing a variety of things. But, but at the beginning, I was kind of just learning everything. So I moved from like an analytical strategy role to, to sales and I ended up managing a sales team. Um, and that's where sort of my, my, the, the kind of different worlds collided, the hard science and engineering and background collided with the softer qualitative, uh, business processes of sales. And, um, and ultimately, you know, I, I started Closer IQ from, uh, my experiences, uh, leading and, and managing a sales team at a very fast growth, uh, company. So fast forward today, you know, Closer IQ, um, I started with my co-founder about three years ago. And essentially what we're building is, uh, the digital career center for, for modern sales professionals. And the thesis is very simple, which is, you know, when you're in college, you can go to your career counselor or career center and get advice and get connected to opportunities. But what what, what do you do when, once you're no longer in college, once you're no longer in academia? Uh, who's going to guide you in industry? Who's going to who, who's going to be your trusted source of information and career counseling and job opportunities? And and so we looked at the traditional uh, recruiting agency model and, and, and found that it was a very broken model that's existed for many years and does not employ many um, uh, modern technologies and doesn't have any innovation in service and culture. And so what we're building now is a technology-enabled business where we can provide a real uh, recruiting service that solves a problem, a fundamental problem that people have, which is making a very smooth and pleasant career transition. One of the big things that, that we, we do that's different beyond building great technology for our, for our own team is building the operations and the culture that can act as the fundamental backbone for how we scale the company. Yeah, I'd love, I'd love to come back to the, the culture piece because I know that's a big, that's a big focus for you. And it's often difficult to get there because you're working in the business and it's often difficult to pull yourself out to work on the business. But it'd be great to understand, right? Who is your ideal customer and how, how do they go through the process? Our business is really a, a community. And in one way, you, you know, one way a lot of people think about it is a double sided marketplace with employers and hiring managers. And then the other side being the candidates. Um, but we actually view it very fluidly, which is everybody in our community is really at any point in time, you know, yes, they can be at a point in time a candidate, but, but over a lifetime, they can be in a hiring manager, they can become a candidate and vice versa. But our ideal customer profile is, is really modern sales professionals in the technology industry. So startups is probably one of the terms that people are most familiar with, but we also work with some pretty big public companies as well. But our, our, our core professional type is, is a salesperson, sales rep, or a customer success, someone who's client-facing in a revenue-impactful type of role. 
It's really interesting what you said earlier on about the client service piece. And earlier on in the show, we had Shep Hyken on talking about the age of experience in, in even sales, but retail, everything. There's a shift to experience. And that, therefore, the people who may have got you to where you are today are not the people who will get you to where you need to be tomorrow, including your future workforce. And and we'll talk about culture in a sec to frame that. But what kind of qualities does Closer IQ look for in the candidate? Um, internally, what we look for is someone who has a deep passion in helping people. Because I think you, you that's one thing that you can't really fake is in, in a service business, you know, you, you want to hire folks who will take care of your customers. And um, if if they have a service mentality of of helping people and being having a passion and in, in 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 what we have internally, as as, as I've told you, is is this give first mentality. Um, I think it really translates um, the way they they speak, the way they interact, the way that they 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 help customers be successful, and that's something that unfortunately you you can't teach someone in any reasonable amount of time. It, it really goes down to their core values, who they are as a human being, what they value in, in what they do, and the type of work that they do. So I think above everything else, we really look for that a sense of service model, service mindset. It's it's like the whole hire for attitude, train for skill, but you hire for this mindset almost. And, and we've talked about Carol Dweck's book, Mindset and Growth Mindset, but this is, it's something that, that I've noticed and Shep mentioned as well is the service mentality. And that that often comes from your your, your background, maybe the jobs you did as a kid or even adversity that you've had in your career. Yeah, likewise. I think that most people can relate to that. You know, they, they start businesses for different reasons. For me, I've always found that I, um, I've always been someone that I, I, you know, help people with career advice and, you know, would point people in the right direction, would make introductions in, in, amongst my network. But I think as we kind of built the business, there, there were, you know, just points in time in my life where, I felt like it was it was a mission that I could really get behind. And it's funny because I think a lot of times, you know, companies sort of find their mission over time. Um, but but one thing that I don't think people talk about as much as founders finding their mission in, in time. Right. And I don't think that we all sort of wake up in the morning and all of a sudden have a mission. Um, it's usually born out of some kind of personal event, tragedy or sense of purpose and something that we all kind of seek for as entrepreneurs. But I was lucky enough to 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 start a business in a in a in a vertical in an industry that I really believed in and then also having kind of some real powerful personal epiphanies that that helped me reinforce the sense of mission and purpose and what we're doing. That that is so key, isn't it? The the sense of mission for a company. And I suppose you see a lot of startups and because the founder like yourself and is CEO and is present and is everywhere in the company, he is the heartbeat of the company. That that's kind of easier to manage, but it's when you start to scale up, when you start to hire, even globally, it's very hard to keep that sense of purpose going throughout the whole company. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I always tell the story a lot to my new hires, and they kind of ask about you know where where does the culture come from? You know, why did you start this company? And you know, I went through. I guess uh, I went. I was part of a company that was gr- growing very quickly, and I saw sort of the challenges of scaling fast and hiring the wrong person, the wrong fit, and having to to make those tough, you know, termination decisions as a hiring manager, as a, as a sales manager. 
And uh, it affected me a lot. It burnt me out as a sales manager because it was emotionally taxing to bring people in and to see them leave the company, especially when they have families and other people that they're supporting. Um, but I always talk about that. That's one side of the motivation of why you started a business unit or why you want to solve a problem. But the whole mentality around giving first as our kind of cultural value, our, our only and the only sort of the first and only culture value that we really talk about internally on a, on a regular basis is I had this realization epiphany when I was, um, this is probably about five years ago, I went, I was in um, Grand Canyons and I remember standing at the, at the, you know, at the top of the bowl and the bowl is huge. I don't know exactly, don't quote me, but I think it's like 30, 40 miles as the, as the diameter, but there around the bowl, you know, there's a, there's a walking path and they've scaled the bowl so that every step you take represents, uh, you know, a certain number of years in, in the history of the, of the planet, of the earth. And I think a step, a single human step is something on the order of like a million years or even larger in terms of scale. And so what you start to realize, and I think everyone reacts to such natural like wonders of the world differently. But to me, it made me realize just how insignificant our lifespan is in the grand sort of history of the world. And it also made me appreciate a lot more the, that, in my lifetime, I, I meet people and it's so arbitrary, but it's also very super, um, you know, lucky to have kind of crossed the people that we meet, whether it's family members or friends or business workers. And when you, when you strip it all away, you know, what our whole legacy on earth is really about to these, these people that we happen to be coexisting with in that one small piece of our shoe. And it was a really powerful realization. And it kind of made me think a lot more about business about life and put kind of things in context. And I, and I said to myself, you know, I want to build a business that I feel good about and that one that I think can really help people. And so giving first is sort of a, a nice, you know, and at the time I was reading Adam Grant's book, um, give and take and everything kind of fit in very nicely as to how we're going to be different as a business. So a lot of times now people say, what's your secret sauce? What makes your business different? I don't talk about the technology. You know, I don't talk about some business strategy or, or innovation. I talk about customer experience. I talk about how we take care of our customers and what we aspire and strive to be as an organization. It's funny. I was, I was watching an old video of Zig Ziglar, the famous sales coach, and he was talking about this. He was saying that so many people complain and when they get into that mindset of complaining about their coworkers or the family and they never look at themselves, you know, and when you point a finger, there's three pointing back at yourself and they never actually realize that and realize that if they reframe everything, that the world takes on a different meaning and so does your work. And you, you've seemed to have done this with your company at the, at a very early stage with your culture to go, this is who we are. And you fit into that or you don't. And quite quickly, when you have that, you can actually weed out, you know, because everybody is going to make a mistake with a hire because everybody interviews so well. But on that, what kind of tips would you have for a hiring manager? So what, what kind of things do you look out for? I think you have to do the exercise as an organization to define what it is that you value. And not everybody has to be that way from day one. I think one of the common misconceptions is that like, well, we can't have that as a culture value because I'm not sure that everyone is that way. Well, it can be an aspiration. It could be a goal, right? And I think everyone has various levels 
of compatibility towards a certain cultural value. But I think it has to start with, as an organization, you have to sit down and say, what do we, and we did this exercise in our last company offsite where we were big enough to actually have people sit down and say, look around the room and write down a list of attributes of the people around you that you either admire or that, you know, you strive to be yourself. And what we did is we had everybody, you know, write it down their list. And then we would have people and we sat in a circle and everyone took turns going through their lists. And then obviously we told people that you should try not to say something that's already said again. So the last person only had one or two to add where the first person had a ton. But what we basically came down to is we reduce it down to a set of attributes. And those attributes are the values. It's essentially what the group is voting for in terms of the type of people they want to work for, the type of people who want to work with, and what they what the optimization function is for you as an organization and what you want to build. A lot of companies, I think, do these exercises, but what they don't do is build operational processes to reinforce those cultural values. It's one thing to have them, and it's another to remind people. And it, that's the phase that we're in now, which is trying to figure out ways such that the values are clear, the values are constantly at the top of mind, and it's constantly reinforced. So some things we're doing now is, you know, we just had a 360 in which we had everybody evaluate their peers um, and score them on each one of our cultural values so that when the person gets the, the feedback, they can understand where, where what the perception of them is in terms of their uh, how good they are at, at each of these cultural values. Um, and we're also creating now these these cultural value awards that we're going to giving out. And the first one actually we're giving out um, next week and at the end of this quarter to kick this off. And one of our cultural values is, is embrace challenges. And uh, it's this notion that, you know, to build a great company, to build a great team, you have to face your challenges head on. You have to embrace it. You have to be proactive and, and deal with it. It's It's that notion of uh, entrepreneurship and being a real true owner and so that cultural value we bought we bought some uh some boxing gloves and and on this floor we have a a gym with a punching bag and so you know that's become like this synonymous visual of what is the cultural value it's very simply put embrace challenges we have a physical award that has significance and we're gonna give it to somebody you know every month so that we can pay recognition and call out when someone's really had to overcome a lot of adversity and really living to that cultural value. So I think those are the sort of the specific things you have to do to to make sure that your cultural values are not just lip service. One last question for you. So you've kind of answered a lot of this, but you've heard stuff like the debt of the cashier and the debt of retail, et cetera, and AI has taken over a lot of these roles. Some people have said the same with sales. So the sense sales, well, sales will be done in, by a self-service process in some way, but that, but the more and more things turn to technology, the more and more the human element is, is required. And this is a debate that, that we have a lot in the community about the future of work and, you know, what is the, the role of technology and AI and, and essentially automation and outsourcing uh, versus the human experience. And that, you know, I, I think about it as I take a bunch of comparables, like the travel industry as an example, you know, travel agents still exist in, in coexistence with Kayak and Priceline and Orbitz and all these search engines. I, I think, though, what does happen with technology is, is it, it really pushes humans to 
find higher purpose, higher value creation rather than the mundane operational things. So in the old days, a salesperson may be uh, in the role in which they're they're really purely describing what a product does and aligning the product with the buyer. You should buy it for these reasons, right? Um, but now and with with information readily available, with reputation readily available, customers are spending much more of their time educating themselves. And so when they come to a vendor, when they come to a salesperson, they typically already have an impression. They already probably know a lot about your product and services. And this is already very well documented online in terms of that shift. And so even in, a, in the last couple of decades with the Internet, with inbound marketing and some demand generation innovation, buyers have now change their role. And and as a result, sales professionals have to change their role. But as you look to the future in terms of how does AI and technology play into the role of a salesperson, you know, I think what it will end up doing is is it'll it'll take away some of the more operational aspect of sales. You're already seeing that in some of the startups that are tackling various components of the sales process. That category of tools called sales acceleration tools um, ranges from, you know, automating emails, automating cadences, um, automating, uh, you know, follow-ups and messages and tracking data. But what's so amazing in the U.S. particularly is with the advent of these products, it makes this whole concept of writing an email almost uh, has zero price on it. And so what you're seeing is a lot of companies have are spamming customers they're writing they're building these lavish cadences seven touches where a customer is getting seven automated emails separated by days and it's very complex if they do this they send this email if they don't do that then you get this and we've gone completely the other way our approach now is to say forget the cadences forget the automation people don't want to be stuck in that you can't assume you're smarter than your customer what people really crave for is a real service someone who really cares someone who's taking the time to personalize to consider your unique campaign points and to listen and i think what makes us different and what makes a lot of these services different these days is that rather than using technology to replace a human interaction they're really using it to make the human interaction more meaningful and i think that's the key is don't try to replace the human interaction itself just make it more meaningful make it more uh, you know, rewarding and make it more, uh, you know, efficient in the way that, that you're going about it. Brilliant advice. And Jordan, wh- where can people find more about Closer IQ? We're online. We, we, run, we publish a blog and we do a ton of writing, um, my, myself as well. But ClosureIQ.com is our, is our domain is C-L-O-S-E-R-I-Q.com. Jordan Wan, CEO and founder of Closer IQ. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me.